Hi, my name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. This podcast is brought to you by School for the Dogs, a Manhattan-based facility I own and operate along with some of the city's finest dog trainers. During this podcast, we'll be answering your questions, geeking out on animal behavior, discussing pet trends, and interviewing industry experts. Welcome to School for the Dogs podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I am here with my friend Milla Chapel, who is an incredible dog photographer. And if you follow us on Instagram, this whole month we will be featuring Milla's photos. So be sure to go to at uh, School for the Dogs on Instagram to check out some of her photos of our trainers at work, some of our students uh, in our classes and in their homes. It's really awesome. We're really excited about it. Milla, thank you thank for agreeing to talk to me. Thank you. Thank for you for this having new me. podcast. Absolutely. So I first met Milla because she was taking photos of some of School for the Dogs' clients, and I was seeing them on Instagram, and I was like, who is this photographer that's doing such an amazing job, not only of getting great pictures of the dogs and having you know technically beautiful photos but also I felt like they were photos where I could see the personality of the dog coming through in a really special way I remember in particular Bane the bulldog yes, of course <laughs> people might be surprised that your background is actually uh, more in the veterinary field than in the photography field at least as your family goes is that right yes exactly so I grew up in a home with two veterinarian parents. My, actually, my grandfather was a veterinarian, and then both of my parents are veterinarians, so that has been our world um, from as young as I can remember. That's you know the world that I did. Grew you up just in. think everyone is a veterinarian? <laughs> well, I do remember on you know when you bring your parents to work. I mean, bring your parents to school, and the parents talk about what they do. I always felt like my parents have the coolest job. <laughs> <laughs> they would bring in you know dogs and cats, and I always felt really proud. I, I loved growing up. In, you know, in a veterinary home and in a home that loved animals, and it was great fun for a kid. How, what kind of pets did you have when you were growing up? Then we just had the standard two dogs and a cat. But my my family did always bring home animals that they were treating. So we we raised a number of different. We raised squirrels and raccoons, and wow. we had a pig in the garage at one wow. point, and we had a variety of things that my parents would treat and we would bring home. So. Um, grew to love all types of animals, but two dogs and a cat, that was our standard fare. <laughs> mm -hmm. And did you think, gosh, I want to grow up and be a vet then? I did, yeah. So I thought I wanted to grow up and do exactly what my parents did. When I went to school, that's what I started doing, but um, it just wasn't a good fit. I did. I hated the classes. I um, wasn't doing well and was finding that what I really enjoyed was studying literature and linguistics and something totally different. So. Oh, right. I, I forgot about your linguistic background. We yeah. have to talk about that, too. I think it's interesting because so many people who work with pets, you know, well, it's almost like the joke when you read anyone who works with dogs, especially on their webpage or whatever, it would be like, you know, Susie has always loved dogs, or <laughs> totally. And I'm like, I'm like, can we get more creative? Exactly. Can We've we all like... always loved dogs. <laughs> Who doesn't always love dogs? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, I know you want to be. I always want to read like Susie actually used to hate exactly. dogs. Exactly. And... Used to be terrified of dogs. <laughs> Chihuahuas were the worst. But it's the cliche. 
but you were you came from a home where you didn't just love dogs you were surrounded by people whose lives were devoted to taking care of them um so i think that's interesting but i also think it's interesting because it sounds like you like i as a kid never occurred to me that there were jobs that you could do with pets outside of being a veterinarian exactly i I always exactly when i realized that i veterinary medicine wasn't going to be a good fit for me i never even thought about like how else could i work with dogs until much later so and and actually that's one thing with this podcast where i feel like maybe maybe i can encourage young people thinking about professions to think about other things other creatively Yeah. yeah Because there are lots, you know, being a vet is a wonderful job, but there's so many other things that you can do. Right? Yep, exactly. Did you see downsides of being a vet for, for, yeah, for your parents? Absolutely. I mean, my parents were always, they worked really hard, so they, they owned their own practice, so it was just the two of them. Where was this? It was in Central Florida. And so they were just always very busy. It's a very demanding, they had employees and constant, you know, dogs boarding, dogs being dogs under their care. It's it's a twenty four hour day seven day a week job no matter what when you're when you're in your own practice like that so it has its upsides and its downsides for sure. Um, how did you then come to study linguistics? <laughs> so I just in school enjoyed literature and linguistics. Um, so I did I did that's what I studied. I have two master's degrees one in one in literature one in linguistics and I did teach for a while um, in Pittsburgh. And while teaching, and I love teaching, um, but while teaching, I started working with a photographer just for fun to make some extra money and discovered that that was really my passion. That was what I wanted to do. So um, so you already had two masters when you started. That, yeah, yeah, at that wow. point. So, um, you know, I, I learned a lot through those years in school that I'm using all the time, but I'm not specifically using the degrees, um, which at first felt like, is this a waste? But I feel like to do what you love to do is, yeah, is, is more important. So yeah, so I started working with her just for fun and then really quickly realized that this is what I want to do. I just need to learn and get better. And, um, but you weren't initially shooting animals. No, I, I, I mean, human, human animals, perhaps. human animals. Yeah. I, I photographed weddings for eight years full time. So that was what I did. Um, engagement sessions, families, babies, that sort of thing. But weddings was the main focus for all of those years. So all of those years I learned to be a better photographer. I learned to deal with people. I learned to run a business. Um, and on the side, I started doing engagement sessions where people would bring their dogs and, of course, those were the most fun. Um, and so just started wondering, is this something that people would be interested in having on its own? And really, it just very slowly grew into what it is now, into real happy dogs. Um, you know, what's funny is something unusual that both you and I must have in common is we've both been to a lot of strangers' weddings. Absolutely. <laughs> now, why have you? Well, you know, I was a journalist for 10 or so years oh, full-time, right. and yeah. one of the main things I did one of my main beats happened to be writing about weddings and engagements. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, we have so much in common. So yeah. I, I used to go to, um, I didn't have to go to the weddings of all the people I wrote about, but I wrote a lot for the vows column of the New York Times. Oh, wow. And for that, I went to a lot of strangers' weddings. That's and, really interesting. And until I kind of hit my fill and was like, I can't. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, I hit my fill too. <laughs> it, did you find it draining sometimes going to people's weddings and you didn't know? I I, I really loved the weddings themselves, but the um, the the pressure of weddings um, 
Yeah, I love doing weddings, but but it's it's a very stressful job. You only have one a shot. Lot of pressure. Yeah. So I, I did it long enough to feel comfortable. I, I've, I've really experienced this. I'm ready to move on to something mm -hmm. different. And thankfully, the dog business was growing to the point where I could quit doing weddings. And So at, what, at what point did you kind of make that full-time transition to taking? When we moved to New York. Um, so two years ago, we moved to New York, and I made the transition to photographing dogs full-time and um, close the wedding business altogether. So, but you had started Real Happy Dogs before that. Mm -hmm. Yep. So tell me about the name Real Happy Dogs. I love that name. <laughs> <laughs> we brainstormed the name for so long, and I feel like it's the perfect fit for what I do. So it has it has three kind of parts. Real meaning photojournalistic. I, I try not to do too much posing. It's very kind of hands-off, fun, interactive, um, real. And then happy... My my focus has been working with rescue rescue work and with just families with dogs that I really want the photos to capture the happy spirit of dogs. So even with rescue work, like I want the photos to reflect that. Um, so real and happy, and then just my family and kind of my love for dogs. Obviously, real happy dogs. But um, I hope you know. I, I feel like it captures well what I'm trying to do. Well, now you have a brand, kind of, because you also have yeah. Real Happy Cats. Exactly. And, right? Exactly. And yeah, Real Happy Kids. It hasn't taken off, but no. <laughs> Real Happy Dogs has been <laughs> has been the thing. But yes, there is potential for Real Happy Cats and Real Happy Kids and all of these things. <laughs> so when you started, did you look around and see what other photographers... When you started specifically doing dog photography, did you survey the competition? Yes, I felt like what I was mostly seeing was more portrait work. Um, and I even actually studied with a girl who, or did some workshops with a girl who was doing dog portraiture. And um, what I found for me is that I found it to be very stifling. Like it was very hard to, I felt like it was against going against the dog's nature to try to have them really like sit still and be this certain way. And I, for me, what I loved doing was just letting them be dogs and photograph that. So most of what I was seeing was portraiture. So I thought this is something a little bit different if we could just do very lifestyle, very photojournalistic. Um, and it has been, I think it's been something a little bit unique. Yeah. Well, it seems to appeal to people. Yeah. Um, did you have any inspiration, other photographers that you saw that were doing things that you liked or even in other arenas? Well, I, I love I love photojournalism, and that's my training is in photojournalism. So um, no one specific to dogs, but I in general even just reading the Times and the Journal, like I I, I I am inspired by photojournalists because I feel like watching how people capture emotion and light and um, stories in a very unposed you know hands off way is inspiring to me because so, that's what I want, that's what I aim to do. It seems to me like. We're living in a moment where there are more dog photographers than ever before. <laughs> and yes. I wonder, as a professional, how, how that seems to you. Because now, I mean, when my, when my dog, who's now 13, was a puppy, I don't think I had a right. digital camera. Right, right. And I, I think I have maybe two photos of him from when yeah. he was, like, in the first, like, year of his life right and, and now 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 dogs I take, are celebrities and everyone wants to photograph well right them. <laughs> and I take photos of him every single day yeah exactly which just wasn't part of my normal life right 10 13 years ago right and now we take that for granted right I wonder as a professional how that's affected your 
your business? Does it make people, you think, either... I mean, I would think either it would make people more educated consumers about what a pro could do, or it would make people dismissive and Mm -hmm. think like, well, I could do this too, or I am doing this too. Totally. I think it's both. I, I mean, even in wedding world, you know, it's kind we, it is kind of like everyone's a photographer now. We all have phones that take lovely pictures and we have nicer cameras than we used to. And because of Instagram and Facebook, there's a lot more desire to have nice photos. So even when I was working in weddings, all the time people would say, you know, kind of along the lines of, I take, you know, I'm learning to do photography too and same in dog world, but it doesn't bother me. I think that, I think there's still a, there's still a place for a professional. And I think that people, the people who hire me recognize that. And I, and something that's special about what I do is that the people are actually a big part of the photos. So, um, when, when you're taking photos with your own phone or even with your own cameras, it's of your dog, but there's not that interaction between you and your dog. So I think people really want to be, to have that captured, Mm. like the relationship that they have with their dog and you can't do that yourself. So, um, yes, everyone, you know, everyone's learning to be a photographer in their own way, but I think there's something special about having the relationship that you share with your dog captured by a professional. Do you advise people to take better photos of their dogs with their phones? Yeah. Or, or do you advise people to not use their phones and use a better camera? Or? No, I think phones, I mean, I use, I, I rarely pick up my camera if I'm not actually going to work. I use my phone for everything and I think absolutely use your phones. I do, I do see things a lot, you know, scrolling through Instagram that I'm kind of like, oh, or if you would have moved to the left a little bit, you know, of course my, my brain, I can't help but notice those things. But yeah, so I think that one of the biggest things that I notice is just watching your backgrounds. So when people are taking photos, and I do it too all the time, but I, I am, you know, I'm pretty aware of it now that, you know, just to be aware of what's behind you, to position your dog, you know, in a, in a clean spot on the background to make sure there's no trees growing out of the head or, um, you know, those sort of, you'll see funny things when you start to notice this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big thing. I, I think that's the number one thing that I can advise is just to watch your backgrounds, 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 always watch what's behind you and to move, to move around. So for example, if you're in the park and you want to take, you know, it's a beautiful day, you want to take a photo of your dog to take some from the front, take some from above, take some from the side. Um, sometimes what I have found is when I'm shooting a session, the photos that I end up loving the most are the unexpected ones, the ones when I you know, got up and moved to the other side or when I looked, what's the background going to be if I go to the, you know, opposite direction, that sort of thing. So I just think play around, move, you know, move from side to side, take from above, take from below. We, last year we had a whole bunch of, um, little, uh, like femo sculpey kind of dogs made by this, uh, woman in Rome who, who makes these tiny miniatures? And oh. I sent her photos of um, the dogs that we were gonna have made. And when we got them back, I realized that all the dogs are looking up. Yes. And, exactly. Exactly. And at some point, I was like, "Oh, it's because in the photos yes, that exactly. I sent her, all the dogs are looking up because yes. we're are, we're so human centric as, so as humans. It's so true <laughs> that yes. we don't get down to their level. Yes, exactly. That's what I really joke when I do dog sessions. My knees are 
all the time bruised because I spend 90% of dog mm-hmm. sessions on the ground. So I think that's a really good point. Oh my God. My jeans. <laughs> I mean, and, and just as a, you know, in working with puppies and, yes. and dogs, my jeans, I go through so many jeans. Yes. My, the knees. Yes. We need to wear knee pads. Knee it's pads. Like the um, volleyball knee pads that we used to wear in like yes. high school. I'm like, this is what I need for dog well, sessions. Well, that, you know, the, the doggest. <laughs> yes. He wears knee pads. See, and I've so seen smart. him around the city sometimes. Yeah. And I'm like, that must be the doggest because I don't know what other photographer would be wearing knee pads. <laughs> I think I've come around to a different way of thinking about something about which I think lots of people could kind of roll their eyes. Like mm-hmm. the, there's a sort of dog ownership culture that's that's happened, happening, yes. that I think can be interpreted as you know, people with too much time and money on their hands, right, spoiling right. their dogs, da, da 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 and I and I get that and I can see that point of view, but I also feel like, isn't it great? Like mm-hmm. isn't it great that this is where people are putting right. their time and money and energy right. rather than, you know, it's dev- such a healthy thing. Right, to- right. I mean like, <laughs> there are a lot of other ways that we could be <laughs> Right, right. It's like I mean you could almost say the same thing about working out. Like right. it, like it's kind of weird the way it's Instagram has fetishized certain mm-hmm. parts of that, mm-hmm. that world, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's like, isn't it great that like that's what people are doing? Is right. like being that concerned being with our health, <laughs> right? You know, um, as and isn't it great that people are, are wanting to bring their dogs places and take mm-hmm. photos of mm-hmm. their dogs and buy their dogs funny yep. toys? Like even if the dog doesn't know it's funny, and even if you're not like an official pet photographer, just if you're really into taking photos mm-hmm. of your dog, mm-hmm. I, either way, you're you're spending a lot of time looking at your dog, watching your dog, yes. notice, noticing your dog, yes. and that can only be Well, and I think, helpful. I mean, I think this is so important. I, I would love to learn more about, I mean, I think everyone, especially with how Instagram has made dog owners want to take, you know, more photos of their dogs and want to be having their dogs in all these different places and situations that sometimes can be stressful for dogs that it's so important what you're doing to help people understand, oh, thank you. Yeah. you know, how to better... I don't care for your dog. I like to think that we're helping people see that dog training is not something that's one and done. Yes. And it's not just, totally. you know, well, he already knows how to sit and lie down yes, and stay, exactly. so we're done. It's so important. But right. more seeing it as figuring out how to live with this other species yep. all the time yep. and um, make Especially their lives as happy. Especially like New York when we do take our dogs with us so many more places than I feel like you would if you lived in a house with a yard and that sort of thing. And we're asking, we're asking a lot of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you recently had a baby. Yes. A bebe. A bebe. (laughs) (laughs) And before we started recording, you were saying that you'd never, you had never spent a lot of time with, with kids. So what I'm interested in is the socialization process as it relates to <laughs> children. Cause I don't have any children at this point, but I have dealt with lots of puppies <laughs> in New York city. Um, I mean, I myself grew up in New York city, so mm-hmm. I wonder having grown up in New York city in a way, it's something I don't think about that much, but right. you, you not being from a big city, yeah. having a baby here, yeah. like, do you feel like you're you're giving her an education about the world or do you feel like you're asking a lot of her I think New York is I mean it's only been a year and a half but I've loved having her you know I I hope that I hope we can be here and that she can grow up here I I just think it's wonderful it's every day it's a lot what I have found is that it's a lot more social than life in kind of suburbia it's I mean every day we're spending time with neighbors and with meeting new people at the parks and um, and she's, you know, riding on subways and seeing people that 
are all different types of people from all over the world and hearing new languages every day. And I just, it's a socialization it. process. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it's amazing. And I, I wish that, um, I wish that I had had more of that in my childhood. And I really hope that we can be here and she can experience that all the way through. Have you ever thought of that? Like dealing with puppies versus dealing with babies? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, honestly, that's a very good comparison because <laughs> it is all socialization. Yeah. 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 Well, and you grew up in it with a household with lots of baby animals, but yes. not baby people. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So I, I, I think it's a great place to raise kids and dogs. <laughs> So when someone books a session with you, what's the process like? What's the first step? So when I show up to a session, what I usually do, actually before I show up, I ask them what their normal routine is. So what do you love to do? Tell me about like a typical Saturday. What would that look like? Do they like fill out a survey? or? Yes, yeah, just an email online with some questions about what their typical day would look like. And, you know, I ask what are some of your dog's funny, um, you know, habits or quirks or things like that just so before I even show up I have a pretty good sense of what the dog is like and then what their family life is like just accompany them on their normal life so we'll hang out at the house we'll have you know breakfast and drinks and then go out for a walk to the park or whatever it is that that family um, or person enjoys doing with their dog a lot of times we'll go to dog friendly restaurants that they love or we'll go to a park or we will meet up with friends just what, what I want to do and what my goal is when I give them this final kind of set of images is that they would look at the images and feel like, yes, like that's what life feels like in this period of time. So that, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, our dogs are with us such a short amount of time that when they look back on those photos, they'll always have those feelings of, mm -hmm. that was my life in New York when I was, you know, 26 and had my dog and, you know, whatever it may be. I want to capture those feelings in photos. I don't want it to just be here's my dog kind of sitting in a field. I do a few of those, like sit, stay kind of look, but mostly I want it to be like, oh, there was that spot that we loved and, you know, that I always took him or that's how he licked my ear or that, you know, the little quirky things that you remember about your dog, that's what I want to capture. It's funny because um, also be before we started recording, we were talking about how as adults you have to expect that you're going to lose some pets and you're going to lose your parents. Right. I mean, if you're lucky enough to have right. have either by the yeah. time you're an adult. But, right. Um, but when you when someone hires a photographer to take photos of them as a family, mm -hmm. first of all, it's, it's when you're talking, I'm thinking that, oh, God, people don't usually do that. Like, people don't usually hire right. a photographer to, like, tell the story of their family. Right. Although I'm sure that does exist and maybe right. it's happening more and more thanks to Instagram. But... People also aren't doing that with the thought of, like, I want my son to remember me and how I was as a parent. So true. You know, but yeah. it's, but it's kind it's of... It's both. A, it is both. Yeah, but you don't that's think so of it in, in that exactly. term. You don't think, like, oh, I want my son to remember this period of time after yeah. I'm gone the way that you do for the dog. And it, honestly, that's such a good point. And, and it does those things, too. It does capture just this moment in time. Mm -hmm that we don't know or we don't know what tomorrow is going to look like but we we have this kind of snippet of what life looks like right now before my dog the before my, the first of our two dogs passed I had a photographer friend come over and do photos of our family and um, I had no idea that within the next year we would have moved we'd be in a new place we would have lost both of our dogs and those photos are probably my most cherished photos because yeah. it's both of our boys it's in our home that we love in Pittsburgh 
just very sweet, very everyday. And I had no idea at the yeah. time how much they would mean to me. So, Wow. So, which brings me to another question is, what do you suggest people do with their photos? Because we kind of are, are no longer in a period of people doing slideshows for their friends. <laughs> right. And people do put things on Facebook, of course. But then what? Um, I, where, where, I, do you, where do you keep your favorite? I love to encourage people to, to print their photos and to have them in their homes and to... Um, I, I love to put them on cards. I, I think greeting cards are actually a really great way to just enjoy. Like for my daughter's birthday, I just had a set of greeting cards made with her picture and a little thank you. Um, you know, prints for your walls. It, it's all it's all so affordable now that you don't have to feel like if I get a print for my wall, it has to stay up for the next five years. It's, you know, get, get a little set of prints for your wall. Enjoy the photos of your dogs. I mean, even Instagram photos, there's all, there, there are ways to have them printed and just switch them out you know yeah. as are there you, certain services that you like to use I or? love so I love Mixbook I think that they're a great um, company a great they have a great vision their products are beautiful I have their albums and their prints on my walls and on my coffee tables so I recommend Mixbook I love mpix.com I love mpix mm -hmm. it's a it's a photo printing but really I, I think I, I'm not even super picky. I just feel like the more that you can print them, put them on your walls, put them in albums, and enjoy them, the better. What kind a, of camera do you use? Um, I shoot with a Canon um, 5D Mark III, and I have a very simple setup. I use a 50 millimeter and a 35 millimeter. I've pared down my equipment over the years, and I think that, especially for dogs, I want to be able to be jumping up, down, you know, moving with them. I don't want to have a bunch of heavy gear, so I shoot with one camera and two lenses, and that's it. Wow, Very and you simple. mostly use natural light, almost entirely. Oh, flashes with dog. I, again, I I used to shoot dogs in a studio situation. I just I just didn't like it. I felt like it was too forced. It was stressful for the dogs. I want it to be very comfortable for them. So I don't use a flash unless it's going to be if unless it's an event and I know that it's going to be dark. Do you use a squeaky toy or any? I, I love little Kong, the little Kong balls. The little tennis balls. Yes, uh -huh. they're amazing. <laughs> Gets the attention every and time. They like fit in the ball of the. the yeah, ball I can keep them. Yeah, I yeah. actually keep them in my pocket, and I can just go squeak, squeak, squeak. Oh, <laughs> I don't even have to take it out of my pocket. Oh, that's smart. <laughs> so, that's a good yeah. tip. Yeah, there you go. Do you, do you have any funny noises that you make? Oh, all the noises. Let's hear. <laughs> that's the best one. <laughs> or actually, cat noises will often really work. Like yes. High pitch. I get the like head tilts. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of my noises now. Yeah, like, I would love out, to hear out, your out noises. Of, you and out of the, the moment, it's hard to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. See, we're pros. <laughs> this is what people hire us for. Yeah. Oh wait, here's my favorite one. Oh, I need to learn that. <laughs> you have to like say "girl" in like the very back of your mouth. And like, <laughs> one day, no, one day you'll learn. I know I'm gonna have to hire you to train me your noises. <laughs> train me in your noises. <laughs>
you know, I love it. Is there a rescue story that, that stands out in your mind among, among all of them? There are so many, honestly. I mean, the first one that I did was Emoji the Pug, so that one will always stand out in my mind. He was a senior rescue pug who, um, his mom was just, she's just one of the most wonderful, devoted dog moms I've ever met. Her name is Mary. So that one will always stand out as just being very special because it was the first one that I shared, and it was the first time that I saw people's response to it and how people just, they wanted to hear more. Like, what was Emoji's story? Um, he was rescued just as a very senior um you know, blind, deaf pug, and, um, it, you know, had some health issues, and we don't, if I remember right, they don't know much about his past, but what I focused on was just how devoted his mom is, and then how her life was changed for the better through, mm -hmm. you know, through knowing him, and the story that I'm sharing next is about how Emoji's story inspired other people to adopt senior pugs, and now the next story is going to be about four different families that all have adopted senior pugs that's and are all so connected cool. to emoji. So, that's so it's cool. really cool to see the ripple down kind of effect of. Didn't you do one also on um, Chloe Cardogian? Yes, on Chloe. Yep, they're good friends. What was her story? She adopted or, again. It was a that was, again was a senior rescue story where she adopted Chloe as a, um, as a senior, and then Cupid. She adopted. She thought that Cupid was a senior because he was in rough shape, but then once he kind of got healthy and. Um, He's, a, he's younger than she thought, but um, it's a, a great story as well. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, the stories that have been so meaningful to me are the um, Pitbulls. I, you know, Princess Gracie and Tater and Amelie. There's so many stories of, like, dogs who had been in abusive situations that now have these, like, amazing, happy lives. And I love telling those stories because I think it encourages other people to even consider adopting a senior or a breed that you might not have or, mm -hmm. you know, a dog that had been abused or... If I can just share the success stories and help people think, like, I can do that, then I feel like my job is <laughs> job is well done. So, Is there another dog in your in your future? Yes, I hope so. I hope so. We're, every dog I photograph, I'm like, Brad, look, he needs a home. She needs a home. <laughs> and, well, the right dog will come along for sure. Do you work at any kind of shelters doing any photos there, or have you ever done that? I work with just private rescue groups. I haven't. I haven't Which groups do you work with? Um, I've worked with Mr. Bones and Company quite a bit. I've worked with Animal Lighthouse Rescue. Um, I just did a session for um, a, a girl named Bunny from Pop, Pup Stars Rescue. I love getting, I love taking photos of homeless dogs in a different way, where I sh try to show them interacting with their foster family, show their true kind of personality and spirits. So that it's not just a sad homeless dog, but you can see like the dog's personality a little bit more. You know, I just read this really interesting book um, called The Dog Merchants. Oh, interesting. And uh, there's it. a chapter on it about rescue, about how rescue dogs have been branded as, you know, the sad underdogs, uh -huh. Uh -huh. whereas dogs from breeders and stores has a more sort of shiny veneer to yeah. them. But that yeah. really, like they're all the same dog right it's, there's like nothing inherently special about one and not or sad yeah. about one and not necessarily really. yeah in fact I think it's really and that, and that and photos actually in this book she talks about how photos of like you know when they show photos of dogs in shelters they don't show these like happy beaming dogs like you're gonna see on a breeder's website exactly and that's what that's what I'm trying to do differently is to even the way that I word it when I show that like I say like beautiful adoptables like I'm trying to even change perceptions about these homeless dogs that they're beautiful they're they have you know 
funny personalities. They're they're loving. They're like I, I love to show them interacting with their foster parents because I think that there is a place for sad photos of dogs behind shelter bars because sometimes that motivates people to just do something. But then I think there's also a place for happy photos of you know dogs that are looking for homes that capture their personality in a more complete way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to contribute to the. Well, it also, I'm just talking about it, it makes me think, like, you see things differently when it's, like, in a home setting. Like, when you're looking at it, apartments, the apartment looks different when they put furniture in the apartment. Exactly. And it makes you want to buy it. Maybe I wonder if it's like that with yeah, dogs. Yeah, and then you see a dog in someone's home, and you can picture, oh, like, this I, dog is funny laying on the couch. Like, I exactly. could have a dog on my couch. That Yeah, it really, I think it, I think there really is something to that, that seeing a dog behind shelter bars, there is a place for that, but a lot of times people have a hard time connecting to it or they fear like what kind of issues would that dog have but if you show that same dog on their foster mom's you know couch curled up next to whatever it it's, makes it's like something relatable. that people can relate to and that people can imagine for themselves our fun dog fact of the week is about dog tongues Did you know that when a dog drinks water, they actually drink it into the bottom of their mouth? Their tongues form a ladle pointing downwards, and with very swift speed, they're able to kind of spoon the water into their mouth with that downward curl of the tongue. Our woof shout-out this week is to Mila's brand new dog, Mona. Mona is a beautiful gray rescued pit bull. And shortly after we recorded this together, I think maybe a day afterwards, I got an urgent flurry of text messages from Mila saying we had to include something about Mona, but Mona hadn't been in her life when she and I met. So you can learn more about Mona at Mila's Instagram page, which is Real Happy Dogs. I also wanted to reach out and say hello to Matt Volkov, who follows us on Instagram and had a question about something that we often have our day school dogs do, which is learn how to push something. He was watching a video of one of our students meatball pushing a cone around the ground and he wrote and said what does the cone pushing teach the pup which is a good question so so pushing a cone is just one of the many things that we teach dogs that I would call perhaps concept training more than specific behavior training for instance, one of the things I teach pretty much every dog I work with during the first session is to do a simple hand touch, which is just teaching them, like, if I touch X to Y, then some good thing happens. And beyond that, you can use that hand touch to then teach lots and lots of different things, as well as teach things that involve this simple concept of touching X to Y. And once you have a dog who is good at understanding that concept, you can build on it even further. For instance, I want you to touch your nose to my hand with duration, right? I want you to keep your nose there. Or I want you to push my hand really hard, which is kind of what's happening when you're pushing a cone on the ground. So 
at the surface, a lot of the things we teach don't have utility necessarily in and of themselves, unless you have a dog, I guess, on a field and you want them to move around cones. Uh, it's more just warming up their brain to these different kinds of of concepts and challenging their brains by giving them new obstacles. Why might you want to eventually teach a dog to push something in a useful way? Well, you could teach a dog to push an elevator button. You could teach a dog to close a door or close a drawer. You could teach a dog to push something to you on the ground if you can't go and reach it. Really, there's so many things that we can teach in just everyday training when we're trying to do fun stuff and keep their brains occupied that could eventually translate into service dog type training um, or even just fun training that you can show off to your friend, right? Like, check out how my dog pushes the elevator button. But my feeling is always the more things you teach a dog, the better they get at learning. And whether you're teaching something that's clearly useful for some immediate purpose or not, you're still working out your dog's brain and having fun doing training together. So that's the long answer to the question of why would anybody want to teach a dog to push a cone on the ground? Anyway, thanks for writing in, Matt. And if you have any questions for this podcast, email them to podcast at schoolforthedogs.com and I will gladly answer them. Thanks so much for listening. You can support School for the Dogs podcast by telling your friends about it, leaving a review, or shopping in our online store. You can learn more about us and sign up to get lots of free training resources when you visit us online at schoolforthedogs.com.